Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you guys here today. Our next guest is a survivor of a life-threatening muscle disease. He was diagnosed with polymycetosis in 2002. He suddenly lost the ability to work, walk, groom, and feed himself. 17 years later, Clark Boozer is now not only be able to walk, but has been snowboarding, plays tennis, and has completed the 100-mile Portland Century bicycle ride. Pretty crazy. You guys are going to love this story. He's a um, powerful guy and accomplished a lot. Clark Boozer is now providing motivation, fitness, nutritional information, education, and advice, as well as self-awareness for everyone from Afrocentric perspective using the YouTube channel. So without further ado, you guys are going to love this. Clark Boozer coming right up. Clark, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you, my man. I'm glad to be on your show. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while with bookings and everything, and I'm glad that we got to connect finally. You got a pretty interesting story, and I love these kind of stories because, you know, they're inspiring, man, and they're, it's, it's just crazy how the world works. <laughs> it's <just laughs> crazy how, how this stuff happens. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving in. So, why don't we just get started? Let's just let's just go right to the right to the beginning, man. Let's tell us what your backstory is like. What was it like for you growing up, and walk us through your journey so far. Okay, so uh, I'm 58 years old. Was born in Portland, Oregon. Lived here pretty much all my life. Yeah. And uh, growing up, I was a very active kid. Always, you know, playing with the kids in the neighborhood. We'd have those like uh, four or five sports days. You know, we could play basketball in the morning, burn them out, or whatever you call them down. Up, you're in Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, burn them out. We just try to fire the ball at them, try to hit them as hard as you could. Baseball, tennis, I mean, anything we could play, we'd be playing. And so as I got older and started going to school, I was active in athletics. Both the, uh, I played football, ran track. I did a lot of intramural stuff. Yeah. And I found that that was just who I was. I just loved, you know, the physical aspect of life. I wasn't great at any one particular thing, but I was good at a lot of things. Mm. Okay. And so... Then uh, I went off to college at Oregon State University. Uh, there I wasn't big enough to play any football or anything, so I just participated in intramural sports while I was working on my degree. And uh, towards the end of my years there, I kind of got introduced to, uh, you know, weightlifting, bodybuilding. So I was a smaller guy, you know. I don't think I broke 150 pounds until I got to be a, what, a sophomore at Oregon State. So I got in the gym and started doing some reading. You'd see those uh, muscle and fitness magazines and stuff. Back then, like Joe Weider was the man, you know, and he had this stuff, I think it was called uh, Mega Mass 2000 or something like that. Just an incredible amount of calories, a lot of high sugary stuff. And basically it was a uh, fortified cake mix. <laughs> yeah, it was crap that back then, the stuff that they were promoting. Man. Right. I mean, the difference between the supplements then and now is just like crazy. So anyway, I started gaining some weight. And I think most of that was because of the lifting itself. And I really got into that. As I got a little bit older and into the workforce, get up to fast forward to around 2000, 2001. I mean, I was pretty much in the best shape of my life. 
I was holding about 8% body fat and I was pretty ripped up. And friends of mine were trying to talk me into going into bodybuilding and all that. So I started training like I was going to bodybuild. Then one day, if you can imagine kind of waking up and uh, just noticing that something's just not quite right, it's kind of like difficult to uh, ambulate to the restroom or when you go to grab something out of the refrigerator like that, a gallon of orange juice just feels like extremely heavy. Hmm. And, you know, guys, we're typically kind of hard-headed and we kind of ignore the symptoms and don't go look into it any further. And so it got to the point where, I mean, it was becoming noticeable. I started losing like muscle mass. I had a evening job as a bouncer at this nightclub downtown. And this one uh, woman that comes in on a regular basis said, are you smoking crack or something? And I said, what, are you crazy? She said, no, you just like you're smaller. And I didn't really think about it because I didn't notice it. I went into the bathroom, I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you know, I'm still a pretty big looking dude. What the hell is she talking about? And uh, then uh, one day I was at my day job and I'm walking down the hallway and my foot just kind of hit caught in the, uh, the mat by the front door and I fell and I couldn't get myself back up, basically knocked myself out. And it was that point I realized something was really going on here. I had gone to a doctor at the Kaiser Permanente, and actually it wasn't a doctor, it's what they call one of those assistants. I can't remember the exact name for them. They're not full-fledged doctors, you know, they got the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I let him tell me I had bursitis and tendonitis and all that. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's something I can roll with. And so, but I was miserable. Mm. in a hell of a lot of pain on a daily basis. And I'm just like, okay, there has to be more to this. And then finally I fell again. This time I just knocked myself out cold and I was again at work. And so one of the school staff, the nurse that got me up off the floor, had got a hold of my first wife and said, you need to get in here and get this man to the hospital. Something's going on. And you know, he's not telling us anything. I don't know what he's told you. So they rushed me in there, did a bunch of tests. And at that point I pretty much really couldn't stand on my own anymore. You know, coming from a, a background where you're active all the time, I and mean, this is just the worst scenario. So in my mind, I already had it in my mind that I was going to die, you know. It was tough on me, and I held so much in. But uh, luckily for me, my ex-wife, she uh, worked at a doctor's office, and she knew how to, like, really put the pressure on and get the necessary testing going on. Because some of these hospitals, I hate to say, you know, they'll just let you die before they actually <laughs> get to the problem, you know. Yeah, they want to get you in and out, man. That's the way, that's the business. It's crazy. I go in, I remember I saw this doctor, I believe his name was Dr. Young, and he walked in, he looked at me after um, he had examined the blood work, and he said, you have a major muscle disease. And I'm thinking, oh, great. And I said, am I going to walk again? He said, the question is, are you going to live? And I said, what? And so at this point, I'm just angry. I storm out the office, uh, you know, uh, I tried to storm out because I had like a, a cane and I had him, uh, assistant helped me up and I was so angry I fell in the hall again and then some kind lady came and helped me get up, got me out to the car and I'm sitting there and I'm just crying. I'm angry. I remember I was trying to pound but I didn't even really have any strength to kind of like pound on the uh, side of the door there and my wife's like, what's wrong? And uh, I'm like, I have a major muscle disease, it's probably going to kill hmm. And so anyway, I was saying that she was good about putting that pressure on and getting those tests. So she was kind of like expediting things. And I, you know, every type of test you could think of, they were given to me. Uh, this one, the EMG test is a nerve conduction study. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I believe you have a background in hockey, right? Yeah. 
but you probably spent some time getting injured. <laughs> yeah, a few a few times. I was very fortunate to not have any crazy, crazy, you know, break my AC or tear my ACL or anything like that. But some okay. other stuff, yeah. So anyway, I had a nerve conduction study, and it's uh, not a very pleasant experience. They stick these uh, long needles in your all over your body in a different oh, muscle. They run a current through there to see what the inflammation levels are. And like my hips and below my knees were the most affected and also up on my shoulders. And every time they stuck the needle in there, the thing was going off like a Geiger counter around something radioactive. And the gentleman, the doctor that was administering the test, he kind of smiled and he said, well, I think you have an inflammatory disease. I said, well, does that mean I'm going to live? He said, I think it's treatable. Hmm. And, uh, I said, what about walking? He said, that's going to be up to you. And so I'm like, okay. So once How old they, are you at this point? How old are you at this I'm point? I'm in my mid-30s, man. I'm like okay, uh, about okay. uh, actually late 30s, about 38. Okay. So how long did this, this linger for? So wh- when did it start? Well, it actually started, so it's about 2001. So how many years was it, was it kind of happening where you were sort of like? Well, I think it pretty much about a year okay. or so I could feel it, but I didn't know what was going on. Oh, wow. But I remember being down in uh, Fresno at the ex-wife's uh, in-law's house, and I'd gone to the gym down there to do a workout. And I remember I'd uh, reached up to grab a pull-up bar, and I just had this pain shooting through my shoulders. So, you know, at that time, I was still thinking, okay, maybe it is bersinus or something. And, uh, uh, man, that's, then, a, that's a hard feeling to, to go through when you're so used to having your body as your tool to to, you know, exercise and do all this stuff. Like, it's crazy to lose that. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you can imagine, I mean, you're at a point in your life where you're able to like routinely throw up 350 on the bench, you know, you can squat well over 500 pounds for reps and all that. You just, you feel like you're on top of the world. And then it seems like in a matter of a few days, proof it's gone. Crazy. I mean, that's enough right there to push the average person over the edge. Luckily, I had a strong support system around me. And so once I got to the point where I started getting the treatment and stuff uh, to get the inflammation down, the first thing they gave me was a prednisone. And prednisone is a nasty drug, but in the short term, it can be very effective in uh, reducing that inflammation. So they put me on a crazy dosage of about 80 milligrams a day. Mm. And so within about two days, all this pain was gone. And I started actually getting some of the feeling back in my extremities because um, this Muscle inflammation that they want to call, I'll tell you what they called it then, it was polymyositis, mm. which means inflammation of many muscles. Wow. And I'd never heard of it. Very rare. Mostly it affects people when they're either infants or when they get to be real old. So here I am with this weird disease. I get on this prednisone and all this stuff started happening in my life. Like people would come by to see me. And I remember one time uh, the cable man was coming by and I'd never seen his brother in my life. And he walks in, he smiled, and he said, man, God told me you're not going to die today. <laughs> I said, what? He said, no, seriously, man, everything's going to be all right. You just wait and see. And wow. I'm like, so I, I was in a wheelchair at this point. I'm like wheeling into the uh, room to ask my wife. I said, you know this guy? Does he know my background? <laughs> and he said, she said, no. I said, huh, that's kind of interesting. And so it was at about that point I noticed when I went to my next um, occupational physical therapy training session that I was, it was a little easier to do certain things. I mean, the average person wouldn't pick up on it, but like say at my worst, I couldn't lift my hand up like this. And I remember one day I was laying there and I had my hands or I was sitting there in the chair and I had my hands on my knees and I kept trying to get it up. I told myself by the end of the month, I want to get to the point where I can lift this arm above my head. And one day I did it. 
And so that told me right there that there was no stopping me, that the mind is a powerful thing that's going to push you over the top. Right. Yeah, that's, well, first of all, it's good that they even found what it was because a lot of times they misdiagnose and they don't know and people, they take somebody on the wrong path and give them the wrong stuff. And I've heard <laughs> some crazy horror stories about people being misdiagnosed, you know, well, because there's so many th disease, there's so many things that are happening in our bodies that could be, right? Right. And, uh, you know, you say misdiagnosed now. There's more to it than the polymyositis because I just found out within the last, say, about six months mm -hmm. that it's not actually polymyositis. Really? There you go. Wow. <laughs> so this is something called signal recognition particle. Okay. It's a mutation in a gene that allows specific mun muscle uh, or, excuse me, proteins to attach to the uh, appropriate tissues in there. But in certain areas of my body, that's not able to do that. And that's what started producing the myopathy. Huh. And I don't know where that came from. There's, at first, they thought maybe it was something environmentally, but now it's some sort of genetic link. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how far back in the family I got to go to find that. But at least it's good that we you know, know what's going on. And yeah. so and then what that does, it changes the treatment a little bit. Because I told you about the prednisone they put me on. There's another drug, drug called a methotrexate. Right. and uh, azathioprine. Now the methotrexate, at first they gave me some oral pills, but it made me nauseated all the time. It made me feel like I had to throw up, um, I had headaches. And so I went back and I said, I can't take this. And so they said, well, we'll try you with the um, stuff you shoot into your, uh, you know, the liquid form. And so I started giving myself injections with that and didn't have those side effects. But it's kind of like, you know, hard on the liver, like most of those drugs are. Yeah. So I have to go in and get a liver biopsy every few years. And I always got to get my blood work. I did that yesterday every eight weeks. And so, but as it turns out, the disease is that the genetic issue I have closely mimics the polymyositis. So you can't really call it a misdiagnosis per se. Okay. But, you know, was luckily this new doctor I went to was a referral from my rheumatologist who I've had for a while. He said, you know, I look at this, I know it's not just polymyositis. And he said, there has to be something deep. And so he ordered that genetic test. And I said, well, I went through this like five years ago. He said, yeah, but they didn't order a test that was that extensive. They only tested for like 30 markers. This one tests for like 3,000. I'm like, oh, okay. So then he called me one day and told me what it was. Then he told me about the treatment. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, let me get on, was it WebMD? And so don't ever do that if you get diagnosed with something, because all it's going to do is scare the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So I, think, I think everybody's made that mistake at some point. Yeah. Like reading the side effects, I'm like, oh, well, I'm actually taking an infusion of a chemo drug. And so then I look at that and I'm like, okay, that means I'm going to be throwing up. That means I'm going to be dizzy, feel like crap, I'm going to lose all this weight. Yeah. Now, the dosage that I used was not as high as somebody that's going through, you know, full-fledged battle with cancer, but it's enough to still give you some of those side effects. However, the treatment results are great, and we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> right. So, okay. So, do what's the, the rate of people not making it through with this condition? Like, is there a lot of people that died from that? Or oh yeah. Is this like uh is this like what are the percentages of people living here? Like how fatal are we talking here? Go back to two thousand two when the doctor walked in and told me I had some sort of uh, muscle disease and uh, we started looking them up and once we narrowed it down it was like, okay, 
he gave me a 50 50 percent chance of living but then I guess he had told my mom that it was going to be not even that good. That was just kind of keeping me optimistic, I guess. And so this uh, disease itself, it affects every muscle in your body. So my heart, my lungs, uh, the throat, and a lot of people die. They end up choking or, you know, they can go into a cardiac arrest. So what, what allowed you to get through that then? I mean, cause that's some really shitty news, man. Like, how did you like, like, what are some of the things you did? Like, how did you have that belief that you were going to get through that? Because well, some after, people would have just folded the tent, right? Well, yeah. And don't get me wrong. There was times where I said, you know, the hell with it. I'm, I'm not going to fight this. It's just too much. I'd rather be dead. Yeah. But then I looked, I had a four-year-old son. My daughter was like 10. And I said, I can't leave yet. So that's part of it. I had that strong support cast with the ex, you know, my family, my mom was still alive or is still alive. And she was very big support. My dad had died a few years prior to that. So he wasn't there, but his spirit was still there. Mm. And there was one night in particular where I really thought I was checking out. I somehow got myself into the bathroom as I was sitting there doing my business on the toilet. I just started like that choking and my heart was pounding real fast and I could just feel myself fading away. And it was like, you know, they always say that proverbial tunnel light. And mine was more like I was passing through the universe and all these stars and stuff. And I heard like this voice and it was definitely my dad's. And it was like this big soft hand pushed me and said, it's not your time, son. And so that kind of pushed me back into existence life. Wow. And so I woke up that next morning. And when I got into the physical therapist's office, you know, I just had this look on my face. And she's like, what's up? I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. I said, I'm going to ride my bike again. She said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. And wow. so uh, when they put me, the uh, only thing I could do when I first went in there was pretty much they put me on one of those ergometers, right? right. It was a struggle just to get that thing to turn a couple of times. And uh, my therapist, she said, I want you to do three minutes. And so me being the competitor I was, I said, she said three, I'm going to do 10. And so I told her, I'm doing 10. And she said, really? She said, good, I need a coffee break. And when I get back from my coffee break, I hope to see you still pedaling away. Mm. And you know, she left, and after about a minute, I was ready to quit. But I told myself, I gave, I told her I would do 10, so I'm going to do the 10. So I made it. And then she told me at that point, she said, you know what? She said, I believe you can do anything that you put your mind to doing. And so that put me in that mindset. Two, I've been a fighter since I came into this world. I was born as a premature child. I was born with pneumonia. I was born legally blind in my left eye with uh, glaucoma. Wow. And so... I'm kind of like a cat. I told my mom she should have named me Sylvester because I got like nine lives. <laughs> wow. And then, you know, I mean, I enjoyed life, you know, and it's the natural, you go through your peaks and your valleys, mm. of course. But then, um, so at that time, I would say, you know, I was indoctrinated into Christianity as are most African-Americans in America, right? And so my mom's a minister in the Episcopal Church. So, you know, I kind of went there just to be gone, I never really kind of felt that true connection. Mm. But that day that that cable man told me that God said, you're not going to die today. And I said, okay, I know there's some sort of higher power, but I just didn't understand what it was. And that didn't happen until just like a couple years ago, after I read this book by Deepak Chopra, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And then yeah. I started um, actually going to therapy of this dude. Uh, he was teaching African-centered uh, psychology. And it's a whole way of thinking because, you know, coming up in this country, we don't realize, you know, you know, all that stuff about, you know, what your past was. I mean, it generally starts at slavery, right? Civil rights and Martin Luther King 
and now you got Barack Obama president. Well, you know, you got to go back thousands of years before that because I mean, Christianity didn't come about to what, 2,000 years ago. Yeah. If you go back 10, 12,000 years ago, you see the pyramid text and you have the stuff carved on, uh, on the stone back there in ancient Kemet or as the Europeans call it, Egypt. So that's why I started looking at my African spirituality and that kind of really got me grounded and started getting my connection with the universe. And because once you connect, man, there is no stopping. Yeah, that's super interesting. Dive into that a little bit more, man, because that's that's a really good perspective to go back further than, you know, the last 2000 years. Like what kind of things did you what kind of things did you find in there that you didn't know that are that were you know that helped you? Well, I mean, just the the technology and the yeah. all the accomplishments that happened way before, you know, what they call civilized society by the western. Yeah. It's crazy how, how, how smart and intelligent they were back then. Right. And you know why they were able to do that? It's because they understood the universal laws. You know, the laws of nature follow that and align themselves with nature. Once you do that, I mean, you figure that like, like the tree that's outside of your home or your office and stuff, how it's genetically programmed to, you know, grow from a seed produce leaves that fall off and then regenerate themselves all the time. So they reach their true potentiality. Now we as human beings, we've gotten so far away from that because of organized religion, because of an education system, educational system that programs you to work for major corporations. So, you know, you're down here being a little um, ants doing all the hard work while the one fat cat sitting up top collecting all the money. Well, see, he had a vision or that person had that vision and they got everybody else doing the work for them. We all have that capability to have our own vision. Each one of us has something that we're very unique at and that only we can do. Yeah, like I'm curious. It's so fascinating. I'm curious to know like what a day in the life back then looked like. You know, like how, how did they go by the universal laws? Like how did they even realize that? And why did it change? Why did yeah. things change? So you know, that's like, a good question. From what I gather, it was just that we always kind of like, you know, you look at animals, right? And how they just have this innate um, knowledge to just be able to do specific things, right? Because yeah. they have been tampered with. If you observe the laws of nature, and that's what the ancients did, they observed everything that happened in nature. And then when they got into the meditative state and able to connect, I mean, you know, you see this on my shirt right here. I don't know if you can. The, yeah, the yeah. Right there. That's your pineal gland in your head, basically. Oh, cool, and that's, So that's basically what you're looking through. So if you close your eyes and able to tune everything out and just absorb those vibrational frequencies, yeah. that's when you start connecting, and that's when you have that unlimited potentiality. You look at the pyramids. To this day, they cannot figure out how those pyramids were built. They want to say that some ancient aliens came down in spacecrafts, you know, and passed this knowledge down and had these machines. They don't think that the first actual people had that ability to come up with those formulas. Everything in the universe is based on a mathematical formula and those pyramids meet that criteria and the accuracy that they were built to this day cannot be duplicated by any machine. Think about that. It's, 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 it's crazy. That's the thing. Like how, how that just shows the capability of a human, but how do we, yeah, I mean, that's the question is that, people look at what we can do now and they base what we could do in the past because we, they think that we're the furthest ahead that they've ever been intellectually. Right. But there yeah. could have been way smarter, way smarter um, communities and generations before us. Right. That were, that, 
that are tapped into something that we haven't even tapped into here. Right. You know, because if they, as these people go in and they, you know, dig up, uh, you know, these artifacts and stuff and uh, they get inside those tombs, and those pyramids, you know that there's actually copper wiring inside the walls of some of those pyramids. Really? Yeah. That's so, crazy. So, you know, the thought is that there's some sort of like power grid and they all align themselves with perfectly with certain constellations out there. And they're not just in, in uh, ancient Kemet or Egypt. They're all over the world. What's your theory on that then? Like, Man, I mean, I haven't quite got all the way into it. I mean, my theory was that we had always had this intelligent life form around pretty much since the existence of time because people were able to maximize that potentiality. Well, I don't know if it was people back then, you know, whatever yeah. the original, <laughs> wherever we started from. But I think, you know, if, if people start learning how to actually live into the, in the present and think about what is, because we spend too much time talking about, well, if I'd have done this back then, you know, where would I be at now? You can't worry about that because you can't change that. You don't know what the future holds because it hasn't happened. The only thing that we control is the right now. Yeah. So if we learn to maximize the right now, I think we can start getting back to that tr uh, true potentiality that we all have. Yeah, that awareness is important. And, and Deepak Chopra, he's, he's awesome. He's, yeah. He's got that book, uh, You Are the Universe as well. He's had other yeah. ones too, but... I haven't really read, I haven't, I, I've got into that book a little bit. I didn't finish it, but he's, I love listening to him speak, man. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. So that's basically what I started really using to get me through uh, living with this uh, chronic illness that I have. So is yeah. that, did you see from the time you started to really study that stuff? Did you see the correlation in your results getting better and better? from when you started to apply those things or just at least kind of put yourself in that perspective of understanding how powerful we are? Did things start to really improve for you? Okay, actually both of those. Yeah. <laughs> so it took a while. I mean, first there was that trying to like ingest all this stuff and try to make sense of it because it's totally different than anything that we've ever been taught. Anything yeah. that we've and, you know, if you talk to other people, they're going to look at you like you're weird, you know, or you're evil. You're talking witchcraft and all that. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of your personal relationship with the creator. And just because somebody else might call that creator God, and I might refer to it as Amun Ra, it's the yeah. same thing, principle that we're talking about. As I got into actually understanding, you know, living within the present and all that, it made it easier to deal with what was happening in the present. Like, I have to go get my blood work done every eight weeks. And it's been a roller coaster. So most people out there probably don't know what CK enzymes are. In your body, you have what they call creatine kinase level. And there's a normal range per part of blood that's supposed to be between like 70 and 300. My readings when I was at my worst were up around 20,000. So what that did is it kind of created like this autoimmune response in the body and just started attacking all this tissue. So I started losing all this muscle mass, like up to five pounds a week. Wow. Going to step on the scale was uh, depressing. I mean, I spent all my life as kind of a, a lightweight guy. I got to my point at my peak that I was about 187 and about 10% body fat. And I was just, you know, feeling good, looking good. And all of a sudden, boom, it's just all gone. Down to 142 pounds and nothing but flab and bone, if you can imagine that. So played a lot on my mind. But then once I got to learn to deal with what was, I said, okay, I can regenerate this. I, all I got to do is go work hard. And so what I did, I used to go to 24-hour fitness all the time. I don't know if you guys have those all the way up in 
north there. But yeah, uh, we got a couple. Okay. And so they're really big in the Portland area. I think we got more than any other state. And so uh, I'd go to like one in some obscure location where I knew my friends wouldn't be. I'd be there at like four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't stand the way I looked. And, you know, everybody was used to me being kind of ripped and, you know, muscular. And so I got in the swimming pool and I would just start walking every morning. And finally, I gave me enough strength to get out on the floor and start using some of the machines and stuff. And one of the personal trainers said, hey, man, you're starting to get some of your muscle back. Well, you know, once I found out other people were noticing what's going on, that really kind of gave me like, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I put on all the old workout gear I had, even though it didn't fit me right. And I go in and I would start working out. And I stayed in that presence. I said, do what you can do today. There's some days where I couldn't do anything. Wow. I'd be so wore out. So I'd have to listen to my body and say, okay, you need to rest and recover. And so, and just enjoy it. Get caught up in that moment because, you know, I had to do a lot of self-talk. You're doing your body good right now. And so then I got back on my feet and everything. I decided one day when I was still in the wheelchair, my buddy came by. I was like right before football season. It was a preseason game. He said, man, I'm going to walk around the corner to the store, get some beer. And uh, you want anything? I said, yeah, I'm going to walk with you. And he started laughing. He said, man, you can't walk. I said, bring that damn walk over here. We're doing it today. So it was about a block and a half around the corner. Did that, went up to physical therapy the next day, and the therapist said, where's your chair? I said, it's at home. She said, send it back. About two months later, I was up at the mountains with the kids using a cane, left my cane in the basket at the grocery store, get back to the uh, resort. And I said, where's my cane? They said, oh, I think you left it in the store. And I'm like, okay, I don't need it. So then I'm walking around. That's awesome. <laughs> now, check this out. So I told you I got down to 142 pounds, right? One of the side effects with the medication, bloat with the prednisone. I was on such a high dosage. So I get up to 211 pounds and I'm weak. And so I got this big body. So I'm waddling around like a penguin and stuff, you know, and I didn't have any strength hardly in my legs, but just enough to kind of get to the car and to where I was going. Huh. But they started cutting down the dosage of the prednisone and me going to the gym, that weight started coming off. And pretty soon I got back down. I was like 150 by the time I lost all the weight. But then, you know, I kept on going and I started riding my bike again. One of my dad's drinking buddies from back in the day used to work at the same school I was working at when I first became ill. So he would come by and check on me all the time. And uh, one day I said, you know what? I'm going to surprise him. They don't ride my bike over to his house. And I just did it. I didn't know if I could do it or not. <laughs> I took a big risk. I hadn't rolled in traffic. And I don't know if you've been down here to Portland, but traffic is not good. <laughs> no, I haven't yet. Yeah, you got to come down sometime. But anyway, I called him up when I was about five blocks from his house. I said, hey, Mr. Proctor, I'm on my bike. I'm going to come by. And he said, all right. He said, what? You're on your bike? And so he got his, and he rolled me all the way back out to my house on the north side of town, which is about 11 miles. And right then I said, okay, I won't get into this. This is going to be my hobby. So a few years ago, I rode in what they call the Portland Century, 100-mile bike ride. And I did it because people told me I'd never walk again. And so to this day, that's probably the biggest accomplishment wow. that I've ever made. Wow, man. That's incredible. How are you feeling now? Like, what do you, how, you, you look good. You look like you're solid. Well, I feel okay. Um, it can be a bit deceiving because I told you it has the ups and downs, right? Yeah, so, sure. Uh, about a little over a year ago, I was still working and it was a very high stress job. I was a dispatcher at our local transit line. That combined with the fact that I was getting weaker from my symptoms again, just kind of really shut me down. So I was almost to the point where I thought I was going to need to go back in a wheelchair again. That's mm -hmm. when my rheumatologist sent me up to OHSU and I met this new doctor, a neurologist, who uh, decided that we we're going to get start this new treatment. 
So I did another one of those painful EMG tests. He decided he was going to put me on Rituxim. And I think I mentioned earlier that Rituxim is a chemotherapy drug. Yeah. I did two IV infusions uh, back in late August and September. I'm scheduled to do another one in March. Within a couple of weeks, I started like noticing, hey, it's getting easier to walk again. One of the problems is with uh, my walking is that below my knees, that area really hasn't recovered much and I can't dorsiflex my feet up. Right. And so I'm real susceptible to falls and all that. And I started falling again. But now I'm like walking pretty good. I'm getting to the gym. I get there, probably lift about four days a week. And then I get to the pool and swim. No, I can't swim. I run yeah, and I yeah. do a bunch of exercises in the pool. That seems to have gotten me pretty much back to feeling like I was about, you know, prior to the symptoms coming back. Yeah. And I just talked to the doctor yesterday. He called me. He wants to give me another like a immune globulin treatment. This one's not an infusion. I actually just take some needles and stick it up under my skin. Do you get but, side effects from any of these drugs, man? Because like, uh, nah, yeah. I'd be worried about, cause like, you know, one creates another problem and then you got to take something for that. And then it's like, before you know it, you're taking all these different drugs. It's like scary, man. Well, I mean, the side effects, uh, I get irritable as hell sometimes. And, uh, you know, I got remarried a couple of years ago to a very beautiful wife, Nadine, and she puts up with my BS. Then sometimes I, I get, uh, with that uh, infusion, I'll get the upset stomach and I'll get the chills sometimes. And I'll just have those days where I got to lay down, stay in bed all day. But you know what? Like I was saying earlier, I stay in the present. I say, tell myself this is for the greater good. Yeah. You know, and I, when I'm feeling down, it normally doesn't take me that long before I'm feeling good and stuff again. So I'm noticing I'm able to do a few more things around the house now, which I know my wife is greatly appreciating. I mean, there was a point where I couldn't even carry the laundry basket full of dry clothes up the stairs. Wow, man. That's how bad it is. It's crazy how it fluctuates. What do you, what's your mornings look like? Like, how do you get primed up for the day? Okay, so typically um, I wake up when my wife does, we go to work. So I wake up about five, get out of bed normally about 6.30. I get on my computer, I'm uh, in the process, I'm writing a book. Cool. And I'm also uh, exploring some options in music now and uh, doing a YouTube channel and all kinds of stuff. Cool, and man. so I work on that kind of stuff. Uh, after my food digest, I'll go, do, uh, I'll go to the gym and do the uh, work that my physical therapist gave me to do. Come back home, prepare the rest of my meals for the day and stuff. Got a uh, stepson here at the house who's uh, 16 next week. And cool. so pretty active up at the school. So he plays football and stuff. So between, you know, pretty much being house dad right now. <laughs> awesome, man. So do you do like, do you do any sort of like meditation in the mornings or any sort of? Oh, like... I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, you must. <laughs> yeah. So first thing I do when my wife gets up and gets in the shower, I'll throw on my headphones and I'll uh, listen to some guided meditation. I have one that's called pyramids of power. And it's uh, basically an Afrocentric uh, way of thinking to uh, maintain optimum health. And cool. so it's a half hour meditation. I use that one every morning. Are you familiar with uh, Esther and Jerry Hicks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I listen to some of their stuff. Jason Stevenson. Cool. Yeah. That positive programming is important, man. Yeah. I mean, because our minds, we've been saturated for years with all this negative stuff yeah. for a reason. You know, it's like because of, Everybody obtains this knowledge and is starting uh, to really, you know, pursue their own passions and learn to create on their own. These companies are going to be out of employees. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It's yeah. like you have the choice either your, body, your mind's going to get programmed either way. You have the choice either put positive or negative shit into your mind, right? It's right. like 
you want to watch the, you want to watch CNN or Fox news and program yourself with fear and useless information, or do you want to program yourself with things that'll, you know, help you become stronger and program your subconscious mind. You know, it's like you have a choice of what you consume. It's not just about what you eat. It's what you listen to, what you watch, right. you know, and, you know, and that's what I try to tell people. I say, you know, you got the smartphones, you know, use them for something other than Facebook and stuff. And, you know, going by all the, misleading stories you read on there you know oh man deeper into life man i mean there's so much out there for the taking well you know they're all there's there's these things right it's like anything you they can all be used as a tool in a positive way but they can also be used as a weapon against you (laughs) you have to use them in a smart way right just like anything it's it's you know I love the ability to be able to connect with people and use social media and be able to have this information like this. We can get it out to people, but then there's also too much crap as well. So you got to be really smart on what you're paying attention to. Unfollow the people that make you feel bad and don't listen to things that aren't making you better. You know, exactly. what, what's the point? <laughs> like you're storing that stuff regardless. That stuff is going in there. People don't realize that, you know, it's, it's, you have the choice. So, you know, you really have to be mindful, but what happens is we get in these programs where everybody's just kind of like zombies, man, you turn on the TV and you get sucked in and you look at your phone and getting sucked into this. For some reason we gravitate towards this, this negativity and everybody just loves to jump on people for making mistakes online and nobody wants to forgive anybody. And it's just like, wow, it's crazy. Sometimes the loop you can get down. And if you're not, mindful of that it's easy to get caught up in that negativity and all of a sudden you're complaining about everything and then it's like whoa all right you got to step back and be like what what's what's going on here you know you have that control from the minute you wake up to program yourself right yeah exactly you know that's what i try to tell some of these youngsters and stuff you know to think about like the even the music that you listen to the videos you're watching I mean, I'm old enough now, and then I worked in the schools for so long, especially in that middle school population, where I just like witnessed this reprogramming of our kids, you know. And I can think back, like when everybody went to school with their shirts tucked in, you know, and hair done and everything. And now it's like, when did the prostitute look become fashionable and acceptable to wear at school? When did you know the looking like a bum become? you know, all right to go out on dates and all that stuff. Yeah, like trying to look like you're homeless or like a bum on purpose. It's like, what is going on here? Like, Yeah. Why? And, would, uh, you know, yeah. I know, you know, our parents say that we did things strange in our generations, but I mean, now it's just like, especially with the power of this media, man, it's like, you know, you look at these uh, videos and stuff. I mean, I stopped watching like the music videos years ago. Yeah. But, you know, now that I have uh, the son here at the house and my uh, biological son, you know, to watch the videos that they and the video games and stuff. It's just like, man, all that stuff, they're just soaking it up. Yeah. And that's in your subconscious. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and, and, and the worst thing you can do is listen to, or watch that stuff before bed too. Yeah, exactly. You really learn that because you're, you're really, you're programming your brain to really, it, people don't understand that. Even watching movies are bad. Or, like I have no problem with enjoying yourself, watching Netflix, whatever, but just be mindful that before you go to sleep, whatever you're watching is going to be the last thing your mind processes. And it's going to sit there and it's going to marinate into your brain. Right. It's crazy, man. And so that's why I always try to close mine down with either, you know, I'm watching something on YouTube about somebody that's kind of doing something in the niche that I'm trying to look to develop 
or yeah. you know a nice guided meditation about prosperity and all that stuff and then you know that's when i wake up just feeling so much different you know yeah or reading a good book or something something that allows you to just end the night on a good note right i mean i've done that before i've watched something and it something that doesn't make me feel great and then i go to sleep and i'm just like oh i feel bummed out and now i just don't enjoy watching stuff that makes me feel it gives me this weird feeling i'd rather I'd rather watch something that I can either learn from or, or something that helps me grow or so maybe a comedy or something lighthearted. Like I don't like this stuff that makes me feel like anxious or, or depressed. I don't know. And there's a lot of stuff out there that does these TV shows, even, you know, the, the they're just garbage. Some of them. It's like, yeah. oh, man. Like, well, you know, if you got like what, 500 some channels on your cable, they got to fill them with something. It's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I find myself a lot of times, I'll be watching comedies that I watched when I was a kid, like Sanford and Son, Good Times, or All in the Family, Three's Company, yeah. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get Classics. my check. <laughs> Classics, man. Classics. But, um, well, man, tell us a little bit more about your book if you want, and then where can everybody find you, man? Okay, so um, the book I'm writing, I haven't figured out the actual title right now. It's called Don't Count Me Out. But basically what I'm trying to do is just share my story. Because I figure uh, after reading Chopra, man, it's just like I've survived something that a lot of people don't survive. So it's my you know, obligation to put this out there in the universe and just go ahead and roll with that. And so uh, once I started doing that, more stuff started happening. Like cause I uh, sat down with my daughter because, like I said, she was 10 at the time that I was going through it at the worst. And so uh, she said, Dad, why don't you just do a podcast? That's totally what that was. And I said, oh, okay, I'll think about it. So I bought the, you know, microphone and all that, you know, recorded a couple, but I never put them out there. I signed up for podcast guests and I sent an email to you and one other lady I've been on her show and then now yours. And so I said, okay, I like the guest thing. And then so a buddy of mine, I sent him a video of me doing something in the gym. And he said, man, you should have your own YouTube channel. You're funny. Yeah. So I started playing around YouTube videos and I started doing that in May and now I have uh, probably over 40 videos I've done and I can just see the progression from my first ones, which were so organic, no type of animations or anything into them. Now I'm actually making music videos for a local artist. Uh, cool, man. Put one up on the YouTube channel. So if you want to find me, you can find me on YouTube, just my name, Clark with an E, Boozer, E-O-O-Z-E-R. On Facebook is Clark with an E, C, then Boozadelic, like Funkadelic, but Boozadelic. Mm -hmm. Then on Instagram, at Clark C. Boo. Cool. I'll also be starting work on an EP probably this spring. And so uh, if you follow me on the site, still be posted on the latest information on that. Cool, man. So you're kind of just starting out your, your journey on the social media world and growing, right? It takes, it takes time. Gets yeah, in. you know, at, at this point in life, I never thought this was something I would do. It was crazy how the whole opportunity to uh, get in and record an EP happened. There, I put out a thing on Facebook after I got dinged for a copyright infringement for using some other music. And I said, hey, if any local artists would uh, be willing to donate a couple of tracks I could use on my videos, I'd appreciate it. So this brother by the name of uh, Stevie Ray Mays goes by Ultra Van Chrome. His album's coming out on the 15th of this month called Kryptonite, spelled with a K. He said, uh, uh, I'll send you the music. I just want you to help me with the project. So we made a video for the song called I Am American, which is on the YouTube channel. So I went up there to record that. And uh, he had a hot mic on. And I just started, you know, kind of flowing with the music. And he said, you know what? I'm going to record that. 
then he thought about it for a while. He said, uh, I think you need a record deal. So <laughs> we'll cool, be in production on that. We finish some stuff on his end. So awesome. It's exciting, man. You got, you know, 2020 will be a great year to grow and things can happen pretty quick if you're consistent. And with, yeah, but I'd recommend, you know, if you're going to do the podcast, just get a bunch recorded and just be consistent. And, you know, YouTube always just keep showing up, man, because, you know, there's the whole, everything's growing and, and there's a lot of people that start and don't, don't keep up and don't, you know, it's really important to have consistency. So, I mean, and there's, there's always, there's a niche for everybody, you know, there's, right. there's people that need to hear what you're saying and we all have to start somewhere, right? You know, exactly. what happens, people get ahead of themselves and they think because of this or that, that they're better than somebody, but we're all humans. We're all on the journey. We all had to start at a certain point. It's just a matter of consistency over time with this stuff. Right. And uh, with your story, there's no doubt that you could grow that and, you know, impact a lot of people. So yeah, man, it's, that's exciting. Good for you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you grow, man. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely send everybody to your social media. It'll be all in the show notes and looking forward to uh, hearing about your book launch too, bro. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you for having me for a guest on your show, man. And uh, much love. Much love to you as well. Clark Boozer, everybody. Thanks everybody. Please hit that subscribe button. Share this with somebody that needs it. Every time you guys do that, it helps. Leave us a review, all that good stuff. Share it with a friend. Appreciate you guys. Catch you next time. You have an amazing day.